Do you believe He's worthy tonight? Why don't we put an encore on our praise right now? Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Oh. Hallelujah. Praise the name of the Lord. Worthy is our God. Amen. He is holy. He's wonderful. He's mighty. There is none like Him. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise God. Amen, amen. He is our need supplier, our healer. Amen. He's our peace, our hope, our joy. Amen, amen, amen. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Amen. Well, so glad you are here. God bless you. you may be seated. We're going to go ahead and dismiss our youth uh, for youth ministries tonight. Amen. Our, our children are already out, uh, but I know our nursery is also going to go out too. So thanks to all of our staff for the great work that they do. Um, week after week after week. Amen. So, praise God. You, go, you can go ahead and be seated. Amen. If you're standing, that's fine. Thank you so much. Welcome to all of you joining us online. We're glad you're here. Amen. And all of you in person as well. Praise the Lord. Somebody look around at an empty blue chair near you. And in Jesus' name, I want you to see a loved one, a family member, a friend coming in Jesus name hallelujah see it believe it say it pray it claim it and let's plant and water and let God give the increase what do you say amen hallelujah 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 praise the Lord I'm going to direct your attention to the book of Romans and uh, we're going to look at Romans chapter number one uh, pastor Denny can you shut those doors please thank you that way, if anybody's out there, it ain't going to bother us or we bother them. Amen. Romans 1. I'm just going to read one verse and then launch into what I'm going to teach on tonight. Romans 1 and verse number 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Father, let the living word preach the written word tonight. Cause my tongue to be the pen of a ready writer and write your word upon our hearts. Give us understanding that we may obey and apply it, pleasing you with the fruit that you desire. We pray all this in the name of Jesus and would everybody say amen. amen. Praise God, praise God. If you look through the eyes of humanism, which unfortunately fills some of the charismatic pulpits of our day, it would be really easy to think and believe that the wrath of God is inconsistent with the love of God. And by the way, my title tonight is The Wrath of God. I told somebody I'm going to open up a can of the wrath of God tonight. No. <laughs> Hallelujah. Unfortunately, many people think that the Old Testament reveals the wrath of God while the New Testament reveals the love of God. By doing this, they force people to believe that the two Testaments disagree. But that's not true. Did you know that mercy and grace are mentioned more in the Old Testament than in the New? <laughs> Such verses as His mercy is new every morning. Such verses as He delights in mercy. 
that he will not be angry forever. That's all in the Old Testament, by the way. In fact, this mindset of separating the wrath of God and the love of God as two separate things produces heresy in many forms. It creates a religion that appeals to the flesh. Tell me what I want to hear, preacher. Teachers having itching ears, you know. I don't want to hear something that convicts me. Just something that, you know, makes me feel good so I can keep putting money in the plate. All the while, it undermines the truth of God's Word. Both Old and New Testaments together reveal God's wrath in connection with His love. In fact, I believe you can't appreciate God's love unless you see it in the contrast of the truth about His wrath. Let me explain. The greatest moment where these two realities, His wrath and love, met was crucifixion. His utter hatred for sin and judgment that needed to be had to happen, excuse me, as a result of that sin, met his absolute love for humanity. And there at the cross, these two met where the wrath and the love of God were both met and fulfilled. The wrath of God demanded that blood be shed as a sign of atonement for all iniquity. And yet God's love demanded that he was the only one that could shed that innocent blood. And so tonight, God has dealt with me uh, about some scriptures to deal with and to bring out and explain uh, what his wrath is and, and um, why does he pour it out and how to avoid it and a few other things such as that. My, my prayer and hope is that by the end of this uh, small Bible study tonight, that the myths and uh, misconceptions about God's wrath will be eradicated from your minds and that the truth of God's love in connection with his wrath will be fully revealed. So let's start by asking this question and answering it. Why does God pour out wrath? Well, let's go back to the scripture. Romans 1 verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. This means they suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because, verse 19, that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made even his eternal power and Godhead so that they are without excuse. What that tells me right there is creation not only declares there's a God, it declares there is one God. It just said that. His eternal power and his Godhead understood by things that were made. That's why you hear about people who will have no background whatsoever in Christianity and have no influence of, of other heretical doctrines 
are able to discover the truth simply because it's there, clearly seen. It's not hidden. It's on the surface of creation. But God's wrath is then poured out against those who suppress that truth. Does that make sense? Okay. All right. Verse 21. Because that when they knew God, notice past tense, when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God. Are you beginning to see why God's wrath is poured out and even on whom it's poured out? They suppress truth. They know God, but yet they don't glorify Him as God. Neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Verse 22, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. Verse 23, and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man and to birds and to four-footed beasts and creeping things. They made God an idol. They changed his intent, his purpose, who he was. And by the way, if you're thinking that this is talking about some warped sense of evildoer in the world, Romans 1 verse 7 says, To all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints. He's writing to the church. And he's not just saying, oh, the world is really bad. He's saying these were people in the church who did this. Okay. We'll get out of first gear in a minute. Just hang with me. I got my notes. I know where I'm going. <laughs> Verse 24. Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lusts of their own hearts. This means He turned them over. You're going to see that phrase three times in the rest of this chapter where God gave them over. Why? Because they rejected Him. And everything He tried failed. Now in some sense, some scholars believe that this is a reference to the apostasy that we see throughout the Old Testament leading up to this time. And I don't find that that's wrong. I can see where that's an understanding because the rest of Romans does speak about uh, the, the fallacy of the law, uh, meaning that it only served a purpose and ended within Christ. And so I can see where that would fit. And certainly we know that by the time Jesus has come, just one example for, uh, to give you an idea is that when Exodus, when he initiates and creates the feasts, the Bible calls them the Feast of the Lord. But if you read through the Gospels, you'll find that it's called the Feast of the Jews. This is because they changed it. They made it into their religion. They made it about themselves. Jesus even said to the Pharisees, he said, you shut up the kingdom of heaven. You don't go in, you don't allow others. You've elevated the commandments of men greater than the commandments of God. You don't even believe them anymore. You don't even teach them anymore. But you're teaching the commandments of men. And so I can see where this would be talking about them. 
I can also see where it's talking about the present day church that Paul was dealing with of people who were compromising the gospel and the doctrine. We know Demas forsook him, having loved this present world. We know Nicholas uh, left. Uh, he was one of the first uh, seven that was appointed in Acts chapter 6. And he left and created the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. We know there was other uh, factions that were, that were compromising the truth. So certainly it would fit then. And we can also see that it's for, certainly prophetic of what's happening now. Of the compromised church. If I can use that term and explain what I mean. And so, because they didn't allow God to convict their hearts to the point of changing, God then said, okay, I'm going to give you up to uncleanness. I'm just going to turn you over to that which you want to do anyway. Let me tell you, when God gives up on you, that's scary. I, I can tell you that in, in my you know, years of pastoring ministry, I've only had God tell me one time, like uh, Samuel about crying for Saul, to stop crying and praying for somebody. I hope he never does again, because it scared me. It, 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 it brought fear, not in, in the sense of being afraid of, of you know, doing what God said to do, but a fear of God's wrath, a fear of God's judgment. And that's what he's saying here, that it got to the point that nothing worked. They were so unteachable, they became unreachable. I don't ever want to get to a place where God cannot correct or rebuke me, where He cannot reprove me. I never want to get to a place where, well, I've got 32 years of living for God. Bless the Lord. I'm, I'm a veteran. You know? No, 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 no. Never want to get to that place. I don't want to be turned over to a reprobate mind. Verse 25, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Here it is again. Verse 26, for this cause, God gave them up or gave them over unto vile affections. For even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise, again, the men, uh, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust toward one another. Men with men working that which is unseemly and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was meet. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over, there's the third time, to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. By the way, I just want to make a, a point here. We live in a crazy, mixed up world that has an identity crisis. Okay? I remember a few years ago when I don't, still to this day don't know how the Supreme Court had found anything to do with marriage in the Constitution, but apparently, you know, they did and ruled that, you know, homosexual marriage was okay. My wife called me that day. My office slash study was now where hers is. And she said, honey, what are we going to do? I said, I'm going to keep preaching the truth. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do it in love. But I'm going to keep preaching the truth. And I, but I told her that day, I said, this is not where it's going to end. And we're now seeing that. You know, transgenderism and, and, you know, I identify as this. And how many of you ever had to, have you seen forms where you've had to fill out? And how do you identify? Is a male, a female, a binary, non-binary, this, that's like, you know. 
One of, one of you told me your, your daughter went to school and, you know, what pronoun do you prefer? Really? We live in a crazy mixed up world. Well, by the way, I, I, I'm not saying it's not, but it was also in Paul's day. You know, in some sense, Solomon was right. There's nothing new under the sun. Okay? And yes, I realize even though it was wax worse, I don't deny that fact, but it was there then as well. But look at verse 29. Being filled with all unrighteousness. Not some, not a little bit, not just a taste of it, but all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit. Wow. I mean, this is like a list that's like, they're full of all of this. Verse 30, backbiters, haters of God, deceitful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents. Verse 31, without understanding, covenant breakers. This means faithless. Without natural affection means cruel, callous, or like a barbarian. Uh, implacable or placable means heartless, without treaty or covenant. Not abstaining from hostilities against some people. Unmerciful. And verse 32 is, is like the you know, ultimate superlative exclamation point. Who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. Now do you know why the wrath of God is poured out? Because of things like this. We must learn from history. We must learn from the apostasy of the Old Testament uh, uh, Israelites. We must learn from the compromised, uh, like the Nicolaitans, which Revelation says, which thing I hate, which doctrine I hate, uh, you know, in the book of Revelation. We must learn from the Demases not to forsake this truth. We must learn from modern day examples as well. And the fact that, that, again, that this is written to the church tells me this is not just a picture of wicked evildoers in the world, but rather an unfortunate reality among those who profess Christianity. I believe in part it's why Brennan Manning said this quote a few years ago. The greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. This is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. Ultimately, the reason God pours out His wrath is because of Romans 1.18. And I'm going to read it from the New Living Translation. But God shows His anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. In other words, instead of letting the truth convict them of their wickedness and change, they suppress God's truth by their wickedness. Wow. So, you might ask the question then, how do we avoid God's wrath? Because the Bible says He's coming in vengeance. He's going to unleash fiery wrath upon those who are wicked and evildoers. How do we avoid that? I don't know about you, but I want to. Okay, so, uh, well, first and foremost is to be born again of the water and the Spirit, John 3, 5. Uh, you know, uh, also, uh, we can look to Acts 2, Acts you know, 8, 
etc., where they receive the Holy Spirit, baptize his name. That's, that's where you start. Be born again. Because as John says, if you're not born again, you won't see the kingdom or enter uh, the kingdom. Also, in John 3 uh, and verse 36, I want to bring this out to you. Uh, the Bible says, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. So, believeth there means to obey or to do uh, what Scripture teaches. So, he that believeth. Well, this is in the same chapter, chapter 3, where he says you must be born of the water and spirit. So, it's not just simple, I believe, I accept Jesus, but actually is, in fact, believing to the point that you change. This is why Paul in Acts 19 said to John's disciples, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? Indicating that that's not enough. So what he's saying here in this verse is he's just simplifying it to belief, but because that's the first step. We have to believe that there's a God. But notice the one that doesn't do that, wrath of God abides on him. I don't want that to happen. So the next thing we must do is turn from idols and serve the only and living God. First Thessalonians indicates this. We must eagerly anticipate his return. Now, when we think of turning from idols, we don't think of idol worship like a third world country might. We don't think of idol worship like a, you know, a, a tribal community might say in Africa or something because we don't have statues like they may there. However, Ideas that are wrong about God are just as much of an idol. Ideologies that are, that are contrary to God's word are just as much an idol as is idol worship. And so turn from these idols and serve the only and true living God. We must keep his commandments. Ecclesiastes, I love how it ends. Anybody know how Ecclesiastes ends? Ecclesiastes 12, 13 and 14, right? The whole duty of man, fear God, keep his commandments. Verse 14 says, why? Because he's going to judge us according to our works. We are not saved by works, but Ephesians says we're saved to do good works. Let's consider what Paul wrote about avoiding God's wrath in, in Romans 2, 5 and 6. He says, but after thy hardness and impenitent heart, treasurest up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to every man according to his deeds. What he's saying here is there are some people that actually treasure up wrath in their hearts. It's, in other words, they value it. They, they value sin. And we saw that, of course, from the first chapter. So it begs the question, where is your heart? For where your heart is, there will your treasure be also. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, if you've got your Bibles, let's turn there. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 10. Listen to what it says here. 1 Corinthians 3 verse 10. Here's some pages rustling. I'll wait just a minute. See some fingers swiping. <laughs> All right. 1 Corinthians 3 verse 10. According to the grace of God which is given unto me, as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. In other words, you can't improve on the Bible. 
You cannot improve on Calvary. You cannot improve on the empty tomb. You cannot improve on salvation. Even though we're in the 21st century, even though we drive cars and not ride camels, the fact is you still need to be born again. You still need to be saved. You still need to turn from sin. So you can't improve on it. You can't lay another foundation. It's already perfect. But you can build upon what's already been laid. And as a wise master builder, uh, you have the choice between two types of resources or materials to choose from. Verse 12, now if any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stone, wood, hay, or stubble. You have two completely separate lists of elements. Gold, silver, and precious stone are found beneath the earth. Wood, hay, and stubble are found on the surface of the earth. Verse 13, every man's work is going to be made manifest for the day. What day is he talking about? The day of his coming. The day shall declare it because it shall be revealed by fire. So when the fiery wrath of God comes upon the earth, the day will reveal it. Well, if it's gold, silver, and precious stone, and, and fire is applied to that, it's going to become more pure. Because when you apply fire to those gems and stones, they become more pure. But if you apply fire to wood, hay, and stubble, it is consumed and becomes ash. Right? And so, the day shall declare it because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. Verse 14, if any man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned... He shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. That phrase, yet so as by fire, actually means if you can survive the fiery wrath that will judge and not be consumed, you'll make it. And, and it's not trying to be sarcastic or, or, or you know, rude, but what it's saying is basically you won't make it. Okay? So choose wisely the materials that you use to build upon. Well, how do I choose gold, silver, and precious stone to build upon this? That's a great question. And then part of avoiding wrath is summed up really in what Paul said in another epistle, put off the works of the flesh, put on Christ. It's that simple. It's daily making the effort to do what Jesus said in Luke 9, 23. Deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and follow Him. If you sin, go to the Father. He's your advocate. Jesus Christ, the righteous, repent, get back up and keep going. Right? If you have aught with your brother or sister, go to them, deal with it, bring your gift to the altar, and keep going. Paul said, I died daily. Paul called himself the chiefest among sinners indicating that he himself, even though he started all these churches, wrote all these books of the Bible, had to deal with stuff daily. Paul even said, when I would do good, evil was present with me. And so building with gold, silver, and precious stone is valuing what God values. He values love. He values unity. He values truth. Valuing what He values. Amen? In the epistle of Ephesians, we find some more answers on how to avoid God's wrath. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children. So 
Do you remember in, the, in, in a lot of Jesus' teaching, he would bring out that except you become like a child, you can't enter the kingdom, that kind of concept, right? And that childlike faith that just believes, right? Okay? Not, not an immature sense of you believe anything and fall for anything, but, but rather that childlike simplicity that, yeah, God's real, you know? It's kind of like the little girl that came in a few weeks ago and just, wow, I can feel God here. She was seven years old and walks down the front and gets the Holy Ghost. It's that kind of just, wow, she doesn't have to analyze it and process it. Wow, God's real. I want him, you know. Well, this is how we should follow God as dear children. Okay. And here it is. Walk in love as Christ also hath loved us. And hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. Walk in love. Love those that hate you, like Jesus. Love those, those that persecute you, like Jesus. Love those that betray you, like Jesus. Love those that deny you and desert you, like Jesus. <laughs> right? Walk in love. Verse 3, but fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as becometh saints, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know, that no whoremonger nor unclean person nor covetous man who is an idolater hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Be ye not therefore partakers with them. It's doing what Psalm 1 talks about. Psalm 1 talks about the blessed man who utterly and absolutely avoids anything to do with evil. He doesn't want to sit in the seat of the scornful. He doesn't want to stand in the congregation with them. He doesn't want to be around them. It's an utter abstinence of wanting to be near that. And that's what he's saying to do here. The epistle to Colossians gives us another sound instruction on avoiding God's wrath. Colossians chapter 3, verse 5. Colossians 3, verse 5. Verse 5 says, Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth. Fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Notice that covetousness is also idolatry. Oh, he got a new truck. I must need one. Oh, she got this. That's idolatry. For which things sake the wrath of God come on, cometh on the children of disobedience, in the which you also walked sometime when you lived in them. But now you also put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth, lie not one to another, seeing that you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. Where there is neither excuse me, Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all in all. Put on therefore. So, you know, the, the, the previous verses have taken all this stuff off, right? Now, Put on some things. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against you, even as Christ forgave you, also do ye. And above all these things, put on charity. 
which is the bond of perfectness. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts to the which you are also called in one body and be thankful. It's not rocket science. It's not, well, you got to go get your master's degree in divinity and your doctorate in theology to figure it out. It's right here. Put off the world, put on Christ. It's that simple. It's not a laundry list. It's why this church, this pulpit, this pastor and pastoral team isn't going to get up and say, don't watch this, don't read that. Don't. If you don't have enough Holy Ghost to say, mm, I'm not going to watch that, read that, wear that, do that, say that, then get more Holy Ghost. Put off the world. Put on Christ. It's that simple. That's how you avoid wrath. But what if I make a mistake? Again, I've already quoted a couple of scriptures. If you, if you sin, you have an advocate with the Father. Go to Him immediately. Deal with it. God, I'm sorry. Help me to overcome. Go to the person if you wronged them. Deal with it immediately. Get it done with. Many of you are aware, of course, last week, and thank you, Minister Kennedy, for going with me to the uh, memorial service for my dad. Many of you know from the stories I've told and some of the messages I've preached, and some of you I've talked to personally, so the strained relationship that was there. But you know one thing I'm grateful for? Years ago, I made up my mind to forgive and not hold it against. And when I got the news that he had passed, I was so grateful that I had prayed years ago, just like Stephen. And I'm not trying to boast of Myron here. I'm just giving you a point of what I'm saying because forgiveness was mentioned here. I remember praying, Lord, lay not this sin to his charge. When I got the news that he might not make it, it was actually... The Sunday, he passed away on Monday, but it was that Sunday. I went in my study after church, closed the door, and I just sat at my desk for a minute. And I said, God, thank you. You know, it, if you're going to take him, don't call me as a witness because I plead the fifth. I'm bringing that up only to tell you this. I, don't, I didn't want that on my conscience. I didn't want that in my heart and my spirit. I wanted to be able to have a clear conscience. And so I, I use that as, a, as an immediate reference for many of you to understand. If there's something that you need to deal with, don't wait. Okay? Don't think, well, there's no Antichrist revealed yet, so I've got time. Uh-uh. You know, you got to drive home tonight. Who knows what might happen? I mean, did we not get a, a, a prayer request the other night? You know, your... your, your uh, co-worker your your sisters yeah yeah had a heart attack while driving you know thank god they're doing better and keep praying for them but but you know you don't know what's your promise deal with it tonight i know at eight o'clock the praise team's going to come and practice go find them there's plenty of rooms go find one and go pray go talk to somebody deal with it tonight don't take it home with you well i can wait till sunday i can wait till the next revival i can wait till the christmas service i can wait no you can't Deal with it now. Put off the world. 
put on Christ. It's that simple. Avoiding God's wrath is about separating from evil and unto God. It's about living holy inwardly and outwardly, looking forward to the coming of Jesus Christ. You see, when Jesus comes, He's going to come one more time. Just like He came once for Calvary, He's coming once more to bring salvation. We know this from the book of Revelation, or excuse me, the book of Hebrews, chapter 9, verse 28. And when He comes, He's coming with a twofold purpose. He's coming to resurrect the righteous, which is His, what we would call the rapture. Also, the book of Revelation calls it the first resurrection. And at the same time, as we're being raptured, He's coming to also pour out His wrath upon the wicked. So do you want to be the righteous who were rewarded? Or the wicked who receive wrath. I remember when I wrote the first volume of the Psalms, Brother Sal, you asked me that day, you said, what are you going to title it? And I didn't have a clue at that point. But all of a sudden it dawned on me, two choices. Because not only the Psalms, but the whole Bible is summarized into two choices. God, Satan. Heaven, hell. Right, wrong. Life, death. Blessing, cursing. I could go on all night. You get the point. Do you want to be the righteous who are rewarded or the wicked who receive wrath? In some of these passages in Revelation, I'm going to take you to a few of them here. Explain a few things. Let's go to Revelation 14, verse 9. And the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast in his image, and receive his mark in his forehead and his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. First of all, this tells us that there will be some who don't receive it. Paul said, We which are alive and remain. Also, another verse that tells us there will be some still there, alive, through to the end. Okay? But those who do receive it, he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels, in the presence of the Lamb, and the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever. Day. Uh, they have no rest day or night who worship the beast in his image, who, and whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. <clears throat> but notice verse 12. Here is the patience, that means endurance, of the saints. So in this very same passage where he's talking about that there's a mark coming that some will take, and those that do will receive the wrath of God. There's also saints that are going to endure. Here is the patience or the endurance of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. So there, there will be those who persevere through to the end who will be those saints of God. I want to be in that number. I want to endure. By the way, this goes alongside with what Luke's gospel records where it says, in your patience, possess ye your soul. It's a phrase that actually means through your endurance, you will win your soul. In other words, you will make sure that your soul is right with God. 
It's why Jesus, Matthew records it this way. He that endures to the end, the same shall be saved. That's what it's indicating there. Okay? So that's another answer to avoiding the wrath, is enduring in this. Bad days, good days. You know? Rough days, easy days. You know? It's enduring. It's pressing through. It's pressing on. You get the answer from God. You don't get the answer from God. He shows up on time. He doesn't seem to show up on time. Whatever it is, you worship Him. You love Him. You endure. Amen? Oh, thank you, Lord Jesus. Also in chapter 16... And I thought I had it marked. I'm going to find it here real quick. Yeah, verse 15. Chapter 16, he's talking about the vials of wrath that are being poured out. And in verse 15, watch what he says here. Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. Jesus uh, alluded to the what I call the thief metaphor. Uh, Paul also did, and we see John here in the book of Revelation. He is coming upon the world as a thief, meaning they're going to be caught by surprise. They're, they're not going to understand or realize, and it will, it will catch them off guard like a thief would, you know, anyone breaking into their home or whatever. But to those, according to what Paul says regarding the same thief metaphor, he said, but we're not in darkness, that that day should overtake us as a thief. And that's what John is even saying here. Blessed is he that watcheth. Well, a few weeks ago, Pastor Jeremy, our teaching pastor, preached on that, taught on that on a Sunday morning. I did uh, last week, you know, from Mark 13. He went from Matthew 24, basically the same account, but just from different writers. Watch. And what does watch mean? It means to, to be ready, to be alert, to be on guard. And keepeth his garments. In other words, protects and guards. What are those garments? Remember Colossians? Put off the world. Put on Christ. Keep them. In other words, keep Christ on. I've, I've heard people say to me, you know, I'm going to pray the armor of God today. And if you've said that, I'm not saying this to offend any of you because guess what? I've said it too. But a few months back, God kind of rebuked me. He says, why are you taking it off? I'm like, well, that's a good point. You know, touche, you know. Okay. So you know what? Ever since then, I've had it on all the time. <laughs> I'm just going to leave the armor of God on. <laughs> you know? Put off the world. Don't put it back on. Put on Christ and keep him on. Keepeth his garments. Blessed is that one. Lest he walk naked and they see his shame. What's he referring to here? It's not physical nakedness. It's, it's spiritual nakedness. It's what Jesus said of the Laodiceans. You think that because you've got this money and you have need of nothing that you're okay? Well, I, I'm saying you're poor and wretched and blind and naked. He was, he was indicating the, the shame of the fact that they had compromised the truth. Did not even realize what they had done. When all of us were born, 
wrath was upon us thanks to Adam and Eve. But we were born in sin, the Bible says, shapen in iniquity. But there's hope. Because if we're born again, God removes that. You know, I was telling somebody the other day, we look back and see our past. God looks a lot further back, further than that, and sees himself. God, we look at ourselves and we say, well, I did this and that. And God says, well, yeah, but my righteousness covers that. And so thank God for being born again. Amen? We can choose to put off the works of darkness and put on the works of light. We can choose to avoid God's wrath through the covering of his righteousness and not appear shamed or naked. But it all comes down to us making the right choice. Lord willing, by the end of this month, if not before, I will be publishing a book on the end times, revealing the truth of God's coming. Um, a couple chapters are left, I'm understanding, and so it should be done soon. And um, one of the things I want to do is make it available to everyone here. Of course, you know, I um, always want you to be blessed by, the, by those books, whatever. But what I'm going to do, especially with this, because of the fact that there is some salvation uh, especially alluded to in there with the new birth and then the truth of God's coming, I'm going to make it available to as many of you that want uh, at, 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 the, at my cost, okay? Um, and so that plus the, the minor shipping and handling to get it here, um, that way if you've got friends or family you want to give it out to. So if, you, if that's the case, I want you to come see me and I'll put down your name and how many you want, 5, 10, 15, whatever, and, and we'll get those ordered. Um, um, some of you already said you wanted five or six. That's why I'm throwing that number out. So some of you got family members that want it. Um, some of you got coworkers that, that you want to reach out to, and it's a possibility to use it as a witnessing tool. In addition to that, um, Pastor Jeremy and I are going to do some podcasts on the coming of the Lord. I've talked to even Pastor Danny about maybe, um, you know, doing a couple of those with me as well. And then... As the Lord leads, I'm going to teach on some things uh, towards the end of the year, if not into the beginning of the year as well. And so I want us to be ready for his coming. I want us to be uh, ready to meet him when he comes. Amen. And, and I want us to be fully uh, aware of what scripture says and ready to tell others about it as well. Amen. And so I want to make this available to you um, at all possible and minimal cost. Amen. So, praise the Lord. Let's stand together. Lord Jesus, you are coming soon. You're coming in vengeance to release fiery wrath upon those who have rejected you been wicked, but you're also coming to resurrect the righteous. Those who are dead in Christ are going to rise first. And then we which are alive and remain are going to be caught up together. Lord, as I and others have preached and depicted, it's going to be as Dickens said, a day that's good and a day that's bad. It's the best of times, the worst of times. There are going to be some who are crying out for the rocks to fall upon them at fear and dread of what's coming. 
while others are lifting up their heads, looking up for their redemption draws nigh. Help us, Lord Jesus, to make the right choice, to be among the number of the saints who've made their calling and election sure, who've added to their faith virtue and so forth, and are abundantly abiding in your word, that you might find us pleasing in your sight and ready when you come. We ask it and pray it. We believe it in the name of Jesus. And would everybody say amen? amen. God bless you. Let's be the church.